Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Andrea Pachati Bear. She is the director of the Conscience Project. Uh, she's a Stanford educated lawyer who has dedicated her career to civil rights and appellate advocacy. Andrea also has served as the legal advisor for the Catholic Association. She's a frequent contributor to the National Catholic Register and also has written for Washington Post, New York Post, Washington Times, Crux, just to name a few. But probably most important, she's a wife and mother of 10, which supersedes everything I just said. Congratulations doing all that. I get a headache just reading about all that stuff you're doing. <laughs> well, I have a lot of help. And, and the 10 kids that you mentioned are quite exceptional fellows and, and daughters, and they've really helped me to be able to do multitasking, multitasking on a grand level. If nothing else, kids really help us put things in better perspective when it comes to the world, don't they? Absolutely. And, and this, these particular years that we've been facing with the pandemic have definitely been a reminder of kind of the first things and what's important in family is, and faith are those two kind of foundations for living a steady life, it seems. Oh, absolutely. And so before we get into the, the train wreck, which is religious liberty and conscience rights that we're seeing abused, not only here in our country, but throughout the world, can you tell people a little bit about the Conscience Project? How can they follow what you're doing there so that they can really get a feel for what's happening out there? Thanks so much for giving me the chance to talk a little bit about our project. We've started, gosh, a year or so ago, year and change ago, and really it was a realization that Americans in particular do not have the fundamental understanding of religious freedom, both um, grounded as Catholics and what the church teaches, but as Americans in what our law provides. So the Conscience Project, you can follow um, my writings and different briefs and things that we filed in, in courts like the Supreme Court at conscience-project.org. And the goal mainly is to, to provide public education on these important issues that are coming up, um, clarifying some of the misconceptions and, and misstatements of fact that you often find in mainstream media, and adding that kind of supernatural perspective that even while we're fighting at the ground level for these important rights, we still really have much to be hopeful for and much to be hope-filled people. We have hope because Jesus gives us that hope, right? That second theological virtue that is so important. Um, but really, we Amen. live in a time that it, it really is a challenge, right? I mean, you know, we're supposed to be the moral authority, and we've basically punted on that as the United States. And we have a new administration that, you know, doesn't really care about religious freedom here in these United States, let alone throughout the world. And I know you do your own podcast, so people can follow that on your website as well. But you had Roger Severino on, we had him as a guest as well. And he talked about all the things the current administration is kind of unwinding that took four years to get into place to kind of help with religious freedom and conscience. How concerned are you with the current administration and uh, really the partisans that, that have been put in place to, you know, attack this precious gift of ours? I'm, I'm very concerned. I join Roger, especially um, my concern in the healthcare 
area and in the industry. We know that the Department of Health and Human Services has the largest budget of any of our agencies, and they're really in charge of um, providing grants and services and resources to people in this vital area of healthcare. Um, Roger did just an incredible job when he was leading up the department's Office of Civil Rights to make sure that not the religious freedom, but all of our civil rights were respected in the provision of health care. And that important leadership has, has been lost. Um, it seems like that priorities are shifting um, away from religious freedom and conscience rights of health care workers and other health care providers to other issues. And that's a, a great concern. I don't think that it's an either or situation and seeing it being treated that way by the, the new administration is, is very disconcerting. Well, and, you know, just I think the prime example of that or one of many prime examples, unfortunately, was the case, you know, for the doctor at the University of Vermont regarding abortions, where just not too long ago, the Justice Department under this new administration right, dropped the case. It was a case, you know, defending this doctor so she wouldn't have to do abortions. And our current administration said, nah, we're not going to pursue that. that. I mean, we think what happened there is perfectly fine, right? Well, in this case that you mentioned, the Vermont case is very interesting, and it really shows the foot dragging that went on by this university-based hospital, state-run hospital. Usually these issues of violations of conscience rights can be filed by the Department of Health and Human Services. In this case, it was by a nurse who was basically set up to participate in an abortion, and and everyone knew that she had a conscience, conscience rights objection to it. She was set up to participate. She was concerned if she left the patient on the table, she could be, you know, held guilty or responsible for, you know, patient endangerment. And so that really marked her. She filed a complaint with the Department of Health and Human Services, their Office of Civil Rights. Roger's office at the time um, pursued this. They tried to work with the university hospital and the hospital wasn't able or wasn't willing to come up with an acceptable exemption for conscientious objectors, for these conscience rights to be protected. And so they referred it to the Department of Justice for prosecution. Now, I worked at the Department of Justice. This is a really rare instance where you're not able to resolve things at the administrative level. It really shows a level of willfulness and a deliberate flaunting of, of the rule of law by the hospital, it should have been a nonpartisan issue. It really should have been carried over regardless of the administration. We've got federal laws that respect the rights of healthcare workers and the fact that the Biden Department of Justice walked away from it is, is just shameful, in my opinion. Well, it is shameful, but it does it does say a lot like, I, you know, I don't think it shocks anybody because I think anybody who knew that this administration was coming in, that they were going to get the most radical people in positions of, you know, whether it's ambassadors for religious freedom or whatever, and, and really reverse everything that's happening. And I guess, the, you know, the, the sad part is, you know, we were the main champion, you know, whether it was a, a Brownback who was in charge of that for a while in the world. And now we've basically abdicated our position. And really, the 
we're not defending anybody in the world. We can't even do it here on in the United States, are we? Well, you're, you're absolutely right in saying that we have been leaders, especially on the international front, in promoting religious freedom. We've done so by bipartisan agreement that religious freedom is an important part of our foreign policy. That's part of our law. We have the International Religious Freedom Act. So this is a law that really says that as a foreign policy priority, we need to advance the cause of religious freedom. Sam Brownback did a fantastic job, and he did it basically pointing out genocide across the board for people like the Uyghur in China, for the Rohingya in Burma or Myanmar. And he was very key in advocating the release of um, basically political prisoners that were being pushed in because of their religious standing, like Pastor Andrew Brunson Brunson in, in Turkey. His absence is very, very disappointing because he was such a strong person. And as you mentioned before, the nominees that have been put out, they look more partisan than committed to the issue of international religious freedom. This is a time it used to be that religious freedom was not even a bipartisan issue, it was a nonpartisan issue. Now things have gotten highly politicized. And you can you are absolutely right in saying if we can't keep our own house clean on religious freedom, it's gonna be very debilitating to people out there trying to promote it on the international scene. I think your point's well taken. This should be a bipartisan effort. There really, this isn't uh, really any question why Republicans and Democrats can't come together, whether you're, you know, Christian or Muslim or Jew or whatever your faith background, all should be able to practice their faith and live their faith out in the public square but we're really ruled by ideology. Even science today is ruled by ideology, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether um, you have religious freedom. It's all about being part of whatever ideology and the transgender ideology and what's taking place today. It's forcing people to do that and not, and really it's a very myopic look because in the big picture, when we destroy religious freedom, no one is safe, are they? No, and there have been studies in, in a number of groups like Beckett Law, which is an incredible religious liberty uh, law firm, kind of the premier, the nation's premier law firm. They've represented groups like the Little Sisters of the Poor and Philadelphia's Catholic Social Services in the most recent Supreme Court case. They've been active on the international scene, and they've shown study after study says when you have respect for religious freedom in a country, all other civil liberties are respected. Women's rights and even LGBTQ interests are protected, free from violence, free from mob rule. And so it's kind of like our civil liberties hinge on our respect for religious freedom. And really, it shouldn't be just about taking care of your own. And this is the problem, as you mentioned before, these ideologies demand conformity. They don't allow for dissent. And in that respect, it's very contrary to the American tradition of pluralism and allowing for vibrant debate and disagreement on a range of issues. If you don't allow that, and if people's voices who are inspired by faith are silenced, we've really got a, a totalitarian situation you know, brewing right now. 
Well, and I think to your point, we can't let our voices be silenced. You know, even if social media, you know, wants to erase you because you're not in the marching orders of the current uh, people in power, our voices need to continue to speak. They need to continue to be heard because if we shut up and don't say anything, then the whole thing collapses, right? The only hope is for people to speak up and understand how important this really is, right? Absolutely. And we also know just from the kind of social safety net, religious Americans form a very big part of caring for their neighbors precisely because of their faith. So if you're told you can engage in the public square but leave your faith behind, how many faith-inspired, faith-based groups that address the needs of the vulnerable will just fold up and close up shop? You know, this is, this is, there are consequences that I think people that are pushing for conformity and silencing voices haven't really thought through. What are, what's the effect if you tell religious Americans, keep your faith at home or within the boundaries of the parish parking lot? Don't bring it into the public square. Don't bring it into addressing the needs of your neighbors. It's a serious, serious problem. And fortunately, we've got the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has been defending the interests of religious freedom and religious exercise. Yeah, I mean, which which is comforting, but it's sad that it has to go to that level. And anybody who's listening, if you're Catholic, Right? At the end of every Mass, the deacon or the priest says, go, right? Go forth, the Mass is ended. Go announce the Gospel, Lord. It is not just to the parking lot. Go out and bring your faith and bring Jesus Christ to the world. We can't just keep it within the walls of our church or the walls of our home because we're going against God's command to go out and share the good news. Amen. No, and we see that it, it makes faith even more vibrant. A parish is enlivened when there is mission work. You know, my, my, one of my older kids at home right now did a work camp over the summer. His faith was ignited by going and helping the elderly. So this is something, it's not just doing good works, but it's also bolstering our own faith to live that concern, that charity, that love, you know, seeing in the other, especially the needy, the face of Christ. Well, and Mother Angelica, who started EWTN, used to say, you may be the only Jesus someone meets today. So if we hide it within the walls of our homes or within our churches, then they may never know Jesus because we're the ones supposed to bring Jesus to them. And I think to your point, you know, going mission work, doing the things your, your, you know, your children, your oldest son was doing are really important. But as parents, hey, get off your duff and get out there and mm-hmm. live your faith in the real world because, you know, this, it's my private thing drives me up a wall. Yeah. No, and that dichotomy, it's kind of um, uh, incoherency of life, right? It's, you really can't live your life of faith if you're apologizing to it, you know, to others. And, and we do need to realize, first, there's only one victim. So yes, we're facing a difficult time but we're not victims and what other people of faith are suffering outside of the U S is really atrocious. And so it's important for us to stand for our beliefs. And at the same time, we also need to focus on praying for Christian martyrs, for other 
religious minorities, you know, I can't get out of my mind concern that I have for religious minorities in Afghanistan right now. Um, you know, the Taliban does not allow for dissent and they do not allow for religious objectors that are different from their own. And, and the, the punishment they inflict often is taking the lives of people that they're threatened by. You must be omnipotent. That was going to be my next question to talk about <laughs> Afghanistan. Uh, and it, it really is. I mean, there's so many. We just did a show you know, last week on, you know, what a debacle that is. But the ramifications, whether you're a woman in Afghanistan, whether you're a religious minority, I mean, the punishment will be swift and severe because even as bad as it is in the United States, we have it pretty darn good compared to any of these other countries, don't we? Absolutely. And, and it is very important, as we were talking earlier, about the importance of our moral authority as a country and as a church to be able to speak to the importance of religious freedom, not just for Christians, not just for Catholic Catholics, but for all people, knowing that we hold the plenitude of truth. You know, this is an indifferentism. We're not saying everything's equal, but we're saying that people need to be free of coercion and of threats so that they can seek the truth freely. And that's the biggest challenge right now with the Taliban is we need to speak if we're going to recognize them, which is a, you know, a foreign policy. Biggest, if we're going to yeah. recognize the Taliban as the government authority in Afghanistan, if we do so, we need to insist on religious freedom for the Afghan people. Well, and I couldn't agree with you more, but this present uh, regime, this government of ours, this present administration is not going to do that. And we unfortunately, we know it. You know, you mentioned the Uyghurs earlier, you know, what's going on there with the re-education camps, uh, how they're being treated. It, it really is abysmal what's happening in China. And no one... Or very few since, you know, Brownback, I know Pom uh, Secretary Pompeo was big on this, is really talking about what's going on in China. And that includes the Vatican. The Vatican does the secret deal with China to let the government, an atheistic government, have input on bishops while throwing the Catholics, faithful Catholics in China under the bus, aren't they? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you point out two big problems in the situation facing the vulnerable people of China. The first is the United States, right? And to their credit, um, Secretary of State Antony Blinken did reaffirm his support for the declaration of genocide that was made by Secretary Pompeo, that, that the Uyghur were being subjected to genocide in China. That was surprising. It was obvious because that's what's happening. And it was right. very important. What we need now is continued firm follow-up. And I haven't heard much from the president, unfortunately, to follow up on their plight. I did earlier this, this past weekend, I was at a cross-country meet and chatting with a young girl who's joined the office of Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska. And her job is going to be taking up this issue of international religious freedom. So there are in, in the Senate and in the House as well, some very um, influential senators and congresspeople that are concerned. We need to right 
our own elected officials and say, they, they may not be living right next door to us, but they are brothers and sisters and we need to support them. And for people who have ever been subjected to, you know, political persecution or religious persecution, knowing that they are not alone helps them hang on through incredible suffering. And on the issue of the church, I think it was a debacle. <laughs> and, you know, it, China is not to be trusted. And we need to continue to put pressure as we can and pray that the Vatican speaks out against the atrocities being committed. And basically becomes a little bit more street smart um, to who they're dealing with and what liberties they're giving. It's not just the Uyghur in China, but Christians and Catholics who now are in even more vulnerable position because the state is controlling their exercise to worship. They're tracking them, their surveillance using artificial intelligence. This is serious stuff. And this is something that we really need to be pushing back against. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, I follow the Vatican, I follow the Pope, you know, on social media. And all I see is um, really an attack saying climate control, climate control, climate control. I mean, they are so worried about the environment to the total disregard of what's going on in China. I never see anything negative about China coming out of the Vatican. And it really is disappointing if, you know, we talk about the United States being the moral authority. If the church isn't the moral authority, then we're all going down the tubes. No, absolutely. And again, this is not one of those either or situations. We are called to be good custodians of the earth. So it doesn't mean that by caring about other issues like the plight of the persecuted, we're taking away concern for caring for what we're given. We need to do that. That's very important. But when it overshadows these other core considerations, it definitely is problematic. And, and we need to say, you know, we're, we're, we're able to multitask, as I mentioned before, mainly because we've got this, the strength of the Holy Spirit building us and lifting us up. And if we call upon that, we can, again, restore the voice that is so needed. The world is so troubled right now. And this year has been a very tough time. Yeah, and it doesn't feel it's getting better, right? I mean, we have whether it's, you know, sports like the NBA, big tech, business, uh, our government, right? They'll boycott Georgia. They're, now they're trying to boycott Texas because, heaven forbid, we try to save babies, right? But they are silent on the atrocities that are going everywhere else because they are willing to cough up any kind of uh, stance for a dollar, right? Their, their morality can be sold at a dollar. And China is a big market, and they're willing to cave to China and not try to make them mad while doing anything, you know, I think, I guess Portland is now going to, you know, heaven forbid, what are they going to do? Send some Antifa to Texas or something. Um, You know, they don't want to spend any money. You can't do anything in Texas. I'm sure Texas is thrilled. They'd have done this a long time to get rid of the, the, the nuts out of Portland. Well, and the challenge in all of this, and I think it was John Paul II who warned about the dangers of capitalism you know, he lived the dangers of communism. And we see how oppressive communism in China is. Capitalism is good, but it also demands us to exercise good ethics as consumers. 
and as a country and say, you know what, maybe we're going to go and have our plants in places where labor is more expensive in order to avoid dealing with countries like China who have, you know, their people operating, you know, basically as slaves, some of them actually in work camps um, in order to produce, you know, low cost goods. It's, it's tough and it's going to take some serious inconvenience on our part. Um, And maybe it's time that we're a little uncomfortable for the well-being of the others. Well, and as Americans, right, we've probably gotten fat, dumb and happy, uh, (laughs) you know, because we really haven't had to go through what the early Christians had to in Rome. Right. We think we think somebody telling us no is is traumatic, let alone what other people in the country are going through or the world are going through. And if we don't stand up to what's going on in the world, sooner or later, it's going to be in our backyard. So to your point, you know, it doesn't matter who's against us. We have Jesus Christ for us. We need to stand up for religious freedom, for conscience here in the United States, outside of the United States, because we're told to love God and neighbor. And our neighbor is the Uyghur or, you know, the Muslim, you know, the Muslim who's being persecuted. Right. The Uyghurs are Muslims being persecuted in Mm -hmm. China. Um, We need to make sure that we stand up for all them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And be prepared for these little white martyrdoms that are facing us even in, you know, in our neighborhoods, to be able to speak out, speak out with love and kindness, never with violence, never with hatred. I mean, truly, many people are ignorant of the truth. They've been conditioned to believe in these kind of false ideas and false ideologies that require absolute agreement. But when you get people on a one-to-one basis, oftentimes they soften. And they can see why, even if they're not going to embrace a belief that you embrace, they're going to want to respect your right to think that way. We're down to about the last 30 seconds. How can people follow what you're doing at the Conscience Project? So you can check out our website at conscience-.org. Things that I'm writing, uh, briefs that we file, we put up as soon as they become available. And as you mentioned before, we've joined up with the National Catholic Register to do a Religious Freedom Matters podcast, which you can listen to on the Conscience Project website, as well as the website of the National Catholic Register. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.